This morning's reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 18, and can be found on page 75. So, chapter 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? while all these people stand round you from morning till evening. Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, 
trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them serve as judges for the people at all times, but let them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Thank you, Steve. Um, whenever you, you go and sort of have a, a, some sort of celebration, I don't know about you, we, we often end up involving food of some description. You know, our kids love to go to um, McDonald's. Any other McDonald's for birthdays? No, no one? Okay. <laughs> uh, Pizza Express, you might head to the Ivy if it's really kind of, you know, special. Uh, just that, that, that point of saying that actually that, that, that food and celebration go hand, together, hand in hand together. Uh, that actually that, that, that that's kind of like often the culmination of, of a big uh, event or party or reason, uh, a reason to celebrate. Well, uh, today in part of our passage, that the, the culmination uh, of the event of when Jephro comes is a, is a meal, a celebration. But actually what's going on there and what that points us to uh, is something far, far uh, greater than simply uh, heading out to Mackie D's. So with that in mind, uh, let's pray uh, as we find out what that's about today. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for this chapter. uh, And we pray that as we dive into it, we wouldn't simply understand what's going on, uh, but actually we would be able to respond to you uh, and to to love you more uh, and to long to follow you more day by day. Amen. Uh, this chapter, chapter 18, is a bit of a hinge in Exodus. Uh, so the, the first of 12 verses are really looking back to the first 17 chapters. Uh, and then the next uh, sort of 13 to 27 is really looking ahead to what's to come. Uh, so the first part of the chapter that we're going to spend most of our, well, pretty much all our time looking at really, uh, is looking back upon the events of the Exodus. Uh, and then it sort of hinges at that point where uh, Moses is judging uh, to really look ahead uh, looking towards God's law uh, and how that's good and, and what's going on and that's going to flow into the, the next chapters of Exodus. But it's centred uh, around uh, a guy called uh, Jephro. Jephro. Now, he, we first come across Jephro uh, in chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 15 and 16. Uh, he's not there by name. Uh, when Pharaoh heard of this, uh, that's Moses who had tried to kill an Egyptian, 
Uh, When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled uh, from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water. Uh, We're first introduced to him there, and then the the rest of chapter 2 onwards, and he's called Ruel in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, we get his name, uh, Jephro. It's all the same person. Uh, so the thing that we, we learn is that he's uh, Moses' father-in-law. Now, you may have picked that up as well from the passage, because it always says, Moses, or so Jephro, Moses' father-in-law. And it comes 13 times. It's just trying to absolutely nail the fact uh, of who Jephro is. Um, uh, and the only relation that, that Moses has to, to Jephro is that he's married to his daughter. So it's a strong relation, um, but that's the relationship they have. So that's who Jephro is, and he's from a place called Midian. Uh, It's a little picture on the screen to give you an idea of where Midian is. As you can see, it's it's quite a way from Egypt. Um, It's quite a way from where Abraham came up from north as well. So all that to say is that Jephro is a complete alien, foreigner. He's not part of God's people. Uh, The only contact he would have really had with God's people is through Moses, uh, through this encounter when Moses was driven away from Pharaoh uh, and went to to live in Midian. Uh, That's really the only contact he would have had. But then that's who Jephro is, that's who he is and where he's come from. But then did you hear what's going on? Verse 1, now Jephro, the priest of Midian, father-in-law of Moses heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. He's heard of these amazing things that the Lord is doing, that his son-in-law is sort of involved in. He's heard of this. And and then we we assume, therefore, that actually we find out that he thinks, well, we need to go and see Moses. And we discover, uh, verse 2, that actually Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, uh, and his children to go back to Jephro. Now, again, we, we meet Zipporah in chapter 2, 3, 4. Uh, we don't know at what point Moses said to his wife and kids, you know, you need to go to your father-in-law. It may have been sort of after chapter 4, if you can remember, when we looked at that and the, the kind of the, the bit with the blood. Uh, it may have been just before he went into Egypt, he may have said, you know, go back. Uh, we don't really know, but, but he, he sends them back. And we're told the name of his children at Gershom, who we've met before uh, in chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, Gershom, which means I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Uh, of course, originally in Egypt. Moses is saying, I'm, I'm not a, a resident of Egypt. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. Uh, but then also his second son, Eleazar, uh, which means my father's God was my helper. In the Bible, always the name is, is quite significant. What your name means kind of has got importance and value. And so Moses naming his children here, he's got one who says, I'm an alien. And then he's got one called saying that my God is my helper. Now, now at what point, we don't know when Eleazar was born, but it was either prophetic or in response, because then he says, actually, he's called him that because he saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. But all that is to say is that just right here at the very beginning, we've got this little summary of what's going on in Exodus. A foreign people in a foreign land who have been saved by the Lord's hand. A big summary of the first 17 chapters. 
But anyway, back into our story. So we have this family, and they go back uh, to Moses. And we have a bit of a family reunion. Jethro, Zipporah, Gershom, Elizar, and who else is part of the party? Uh, they all come, and they gather together. And Moses is the, the ideal son-in-law. Verse 7. Uh, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He, he went out to him, showed him the respect to, to go and go and meet him. Uh, he bowed down to him. Uh, he kissed him. Uh, and he took him into his tent. It's nothing uh, surprising. That's exactly what he should have done. And it's actually what he did. Uh, Moses is the, the good, uh, sort of good son-in-law, uh, treating his father, Jephro, with all of the respect he deserves. But then it, it, they get into the tent. And it's now, I just, it, it feels, in verse 8, uh, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done. You get the feeling that it's as if Moses couldn't help but speak. You know, Jephro comes so and says, Moses, what, what's been going on? And then Moses says, oh, you, you won't believe it. Like, first of all, uh, the Lord said, take my staff, and I threw it down, and it became a snake. But then the Egyptians did the same thing, but get this, my snake ate their snakes. It was amazing. Uh, It was all to kind of speak to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh wouldn't listen. He would not let us go. He just would refuse to listen. So uh, the Lord said, well, I'm going to send plagues upon Egypt. And he did. You know the, the Great River Nile that gets all of the water for the whole land? It turned to blood. Uh, and you know, Ra, the sun god, the one who kind of sits above all the, the things in Egypt, the Lord blotted out the sun. But, but Pharaoh still wouldn't let us go. Time and again, he just said, no, no, no. He wouldn't do it. And so the, the Lord sent this last plague. Uh, the Passover, it was a plague where actually everybody, every firstborn son was going to die. But actually the Lord said, if you take a lamb and if you paint its blood on the doorposts, that lamb will be taking the place of your sons. That night was a scary night, but the Lord brought us through. And then Pharaoh said, go, get out. And we left. We, we went with Egypt. And we, we, the Egyptians gave us things as well. And we went out and we left. But then the Lord was leading us. And we, we, we thought he was leading us in triumph. But, but yet we, he was taking us to a dead end. We didn't know what was going on. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and started running after us. So, so we got to a point where we had uh, the sea in front of us, the desert to the side of us, and Pharaoh behind us. We were terrified. But then, get this. The, way, the water welled up into a wall. And we walked through the sea. Yeah, we walked through the sea on dry land. We walked through the sea on dry land. All the people came through. And then when the army, the, the biggest army in the world came by, uh, the Lord covered it over again. He saved us, the Lord. And then we were walking through into the wilderness and we had no water. But the Lord gave us water. He provided for us again and then we had no food. 
And then it, it rained, yeah, it rained manna every day for us. It was all the Lord, he saved us. And you can, uh, as Moses speaks, verse 9 says, Jephro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing him from the hand of the Egyptians. It, it feels a bit like that as, as, as Moses' joy went, so did Jephro's, as he just heard of all the amazing good things the Lord had done to rescue his people. He, he was delighted. And then he did four things. Uh, firstly, uh, verse 10, he, he praises God. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, he, he praised God. Uh, and then secondly, uh, verse 11, uh, he declared who the Lord was. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods that he did those that he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. He says that I know who the Lord is. Do you remember that was often the refrain that the Lord said, so that you will know that I am the Lord? I know who the Lord is. He's the one who saved you. I know actually he's the one who, who's judged your enemies. I know he is the Lord who saves and judges. And then thirdly, verse 12, he sacrificed. Then Jephro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. Again, do you remember way back when Moses spoke to Pharaoh, he said, can we go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices? Well, here it's actually happening. He offers a, a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. And then lastly, he celebrates with a meal. Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law, in the presence of God. He praised, he declared, he sacrificed, he celebrated. Well, brothers and sisters, if, if that's what Jephro did, how much more should we? If that's what Jephro did when he heard about how God saved a, a people physically, from a land, how much more should we, when we remember the story of what the Lord has done for you and for me, when we remember the, the Lord who made heaven and earth, who said, let there be light, and there was, and then became a baby, who, who entered into humanity. He, he didn't look from afar. He came into and entered humanity. He took on flesh. He didn't simply do that to kind of say, this is what you need to do. He took on flesh so that he might bear upon the cross our own sin, our own judgment, upon him. The judgment was upon him that brought us peace. And then more than that, uh, as he died on the cross taking our sin, he then, three days later, rose again to new life. So that you and I might have that same life. That be rescued, not from a, a physical place, but rescued from death itself. And be called children of God. That's what the Lord's done for each of us. So how much more should that not cause us to delight in him?
How much more should that not cause us to delight in everything the Lord has done? The shorter Westminster Catechism, Catechism is kind of a way of, uh, a bit like the creed, a way of understanding the faith in a question and answer form. It says this, uh, first question, number one, right at the top, uh, what is the chief end of man? What's the point of being a person? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The point of being a person is to glorify God and enjoy him, to delight in him, to know his goodness, to know his love. There is no such thing as a dull Christian when it comes to the gospel. There's no such thing about we cannot be dull to the gospel. We cannot be dull to what the Lord has done. Because actually what he has done is amazing and he wants us to enjoy him day by day. And often actually some of the reasons that we, we, we can find life hard in that respect is because we, we forget to remind ourselves of everything that God's done. Every day I am a child of God. Every day I am beloved. Every day I am his child because he gave his son for me so I could be part of his family. And there are hard times, yes. It doesn't change your circumstances. It changes your identity. So what should we do? Surely we should praise God. Surely we should long to be those that, that sink. Arms up, arms down. But hearts to the Lord. And singing is a really great way to do that. You might want to come in the summer. Matt's running some sessions. We can have a longer time to sing. You might want to sing at home, get a, a playlist in your car or on your Alexa, whatever it might be. But a chance to sing to praises to our God. We want to declare who the Lord is. Say, Lord, this is who you are. That's one of the reasons we have the creed every week here, so that we stand up all together. We say to each other, this is what we believe. And we say to anybody who might walk through those doors, this is the Lord we believe in. This is who he is. This is what he's done. And we might want to declare that as well into the public sphere. There was a church member this week who was just sharing with me the, the, the joy it was when somebody was just asking them questions about Jesus, unexpectedly. And actually, for them, it filled them with joy as they were able to share about Jesus. Do you see that? It was declaring about Jesus actually increased their joy, let alone being able to share the good news of somebody who's not a believer. What a good thing to do, declaring it to each other, declaring it to the world, declaring it as we go about. Uh, thirdly, uh, make sacrifices. Now, of course, we, we put this through, don't we, through our, our kind of New Testament lens. We, you know, we're not going to bring a goat up here. No, we remember verses like Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him. 
that this is your spiritual act of worship. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. It's something that's going to cost you everything. But also it costs you nothing. Let me just read to you. Uh, There's a book from Tim Chester called Ordinary Hero. Uh, And in that, he just very helpfully uh, reworks the story or the parable uh, of the treasure hidden in the field. And it just, it it encapsulates quite well that sense of what it means to give up everything but gain Christ. Uh, Jesus once said the kingdom of God is a bit like this. A man was walking home from working in the fields uh, when he decided to take a shortcut across a scrubby area that, that never seemed to be used for anything. There was no clear path, so he picked his way as best he could. He stumbled a couple of times before tripping over completely, landing in the long grass where he lay dazed. And now this he fought, recalling yet another hard day and another hard week. Then a few inches from his head, he noticed a piece of metal sticking out of the ground. Curious, he pulled away the grass and brushed off the top soil. It was the metal corner of a wooden chest. He tugged away at the tufts of the grass and dug up the soil. He pulled and twisted until the chest was free. He paused and there lifted the lid. Inside were jewels, pendants, gold coins, all covered in dust, but extremely valuable. What was he to do? He sat in the sun for a few minutes and he closed the chest, reburied it, kicked soil over it and replaced the tufts of grass as best he could. That evening he made inquiries. He tracked down the owner of the field and agreed a price. There was some negotiation, but a bit of bargaining. He howled as best he could, but still it was a lot of money. He looked at his savings, not enough. He asked relations for a loan. No can do. There was nothing for it. The next day, he laid out his possessions in front of the house. Clothes, furniture, utensils, everything. All for sale, house included. Everyone was curious. What was he doing? Why? Gradually, people started buying. No doubt, some great misfortune had befallen him. There were whispered rumours of debts. Most were inclined to pity him, except that he was smiling broadly. As each item was sold, he would laugh to himself. He seemed hardly able to contain his excitement. Still, a bargain's a bargain, and so people bought his possessions. By mid-morning, everyone was keen to get in on the day act. Around noon, a relative brought his house at a knockdown price. News started to get around, and by afternoon, neighbouring villagers were buying up his last few possessions. When darkness fell, everything was gone. The man took the money and bought the field. That night, sleeping under the stars with nothing to his name, Except one field, he was the happiest man alive. In the morning, a new life would begin, a life of prosperity, security, laughter, and hope. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, and a man found it. He hid it again, then his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Just that sense there of losing everything, worldly as it were, but gaining everything, that it not really being a cost at all. We praise We declare, uh, we sacrifice, and we celebrate. Did you remember that thing, that feast? A feast that Jephro had with Aaron and the elders in the presence of God. We've got something to look forward to that's far greater than, than that. This is not just kind of a church lunch I'm about to announce next week. We haven't got one, by the way. But that sense of actually of, of looking forward to the feast in God's kingdom. Uh, Looking forward to the feast where there'll be people from all nations, tribes and tongues gathered together at the wedding feast of the Lamb. 
Uh, Just listen to this uh, from Revelation uh, 19, verses 7 and 9. Uh, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Uh, Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these these are true words uh, of God. Brothers and sisters, we've got a feast awaiting, which is the greatest feast you can ever imagine in the presence of God, with God himself, with all people together. It's something to to look forward to, to put our hopes upon, to say there is a day coming when we will feast and banquet, when our cup will overflow and our plates will not be empty. That is the hope of the Christian. That sin and death will be destroyed and not just apathy, but joy eternal to come. What marvellous hope. So as we close, we're not going to look at the second half. We can do more of that over the coming weeks. How do you respond to this? How do you respond to the gospel? What will it mean for you to praise the Lord, to, to, to sing to the Lord for what he's done? It might be singing, it, it, it might be writing, it might be talking and praying. But, that, but when we think upon what the Lord has done for us, don't our hearts yearn to pray, just to, to, to sing out to him, to praise him? What will it mean for us to declare who the Lord is to the world? Actually, what will it mean when we say the creed, as we've said today already? What will it mean, actually, when we say those words week by week, remember what we're doing? What will it mean to, to pray that actually that we might have chances to declare who the Lord is? To say, I know who the Lord is. He's the Lord who saves and the Lord who judges. That is who he is. He's a good God. He does good things. What would it look like for you to sacrifice, to say, Lord, you've given everything for me, so I give everything to you in the workplace, in the home, in my time, in my energy. I will not hold a mite back. And then lastly, how can we look forward to that great day? How can we put it before our eyes and say, there's a day coming, there's a day coming when all wrongs be made right, when all tears be wiped away, when there is a wedding that will be unbeaten by anything we've ever experienced. A day when we will feast. A day when we will be truly with our Lord. That's the Christian hope. That's what we cling to. That's what we look forward to. So let's copy Jeffro. Let's praise, declare, sacrifice and celebrate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that, uh, that Jethro had reason, to, cel- reason to, to celebrate and praise, and we have more. Uh, we thank you for this story of Exodus, for how it foreshadows the greater story of the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live lives in light of that, that you would help us to ponder upon all you've done, and respond to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.